This is the Game Changers podcast where your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins. And predominant educational thought leader, Adriana Prado. Well, the Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of the 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education. Those individuals that don't want or wait for permission. Leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in a new world environment. These are going to be their stories. Well, we're really excited uh, today to, to have a very special guest with us, Phil, and that is uh, Madeline Grummet, who's an award-winning uh, education technology entrepreneur, startup mentor and investor, executive board director, innovative advisor and founder and CEO of the education company Girl, Girl World. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, uh, Madeline, but I'm hoping I have. Uh, we're really excited to have you here today. Uh, you're a fellow space cadet. Uh, an experience that we both encountered last year. Sorry, Phil, that you missed out on that particular experience. Uh, but look, you know, clearly I'm, you're not good enough to be invited. I'm, I'm not spicy enough, really. <laughs> oh, you got to be pretty out there. Yeah. So we're, we're really interested in your work, particularly around empowering women, young women, through entrepreneurship. So perhaps we might start off with you telling us a little bit about your own story and how did you get to where you are today? Hmm, how long have we got? This is a this is a fifteen day podcast, isn't it? Um, how did I get to where I am? I th- well, I started my life as a journalist, so um, I still do quite a bit of work um, around media and, and, and content. But um, I started my life as a journalist with the Herald Sun. So I suppose uh, when I look at the thread that loops together my the patchwork that becomes one's career, um, the continuity there for me really is I've always, I suppose, been very curious and always wanted to push for answers um, to things. And so I spent the best sort of 10 years, probably the first part of my career was inside um, uh, journalism. And then uh, from there, I moved on into starting my own creative agency. Uh, When I was having my kids, I um, recognised that working inside a big corporation wasn't going to work for me and uh, that uh, it would be easier for me to start my own uh, consultancy. So I ran my own creative agency uh, for about six years, um, called Do Re Me Creative. Um, and then that did a lot of brand activations, um, copywriting, storytelling. And then I decided that I wanted to um, understand how to solve problems at scale. And so I promptly uh, decided to commit to a, uh, studying full-time for one year, uh, an MBA, but, uh, but flipped from doing an MBA to doing a Master of Entrepreneurship. Now, this is a full-on one-year degree at Melbourne University. It's run through Melbourne Business School and the Faculty of Business and Economics. Um, And the Master of Entrepreneurship is really a degree within which you look at big, hairy, audacious problems and see if you can come up with a business solution um, to that. And so that, for me, really was the springboard. In 2016 is when I went back and studied. That was my absolute springboard or catalyst year. That that catapulted me me into this sort of world of startups and innovation and education and the nexus of all these things. But you've had a history already, though, of um, tapping into that whole world of design thinking entrepreneurship too, haven't you, prior to that? Yes, um, I had, but this was a way to learn the toolkits and apply those. So really getting those business models and structures and particularly design thinking. And that's one of my great deep T's, if you like. And I have gone on since that master's and trained with IDEO um, in design thinking. and Which I'm really jealous about, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing methodology. Uh, we can talk about it later. Uh, there's a lot of innovation methodologies out there. We know there's a lot of 
sort of a Disneyland that can go on around innovation and around agile when we think about transformation. Um, but uh, really, the innovation is, is coming up with a, a solution that, that was not there before. And it takes the right set of people and the right set of tools uh, and the right time for that to happen effectively. And, and, and Madeline, we, uh, we, we, we know you've been good at doing it because we, we just received word fairly recently that you received the University of Melbourne's Faculty of Business and Economics Alumni of Distinction 2020 Leadership Award. Well, congratulations. Quite the mouthful, isn't it? Thank you. Yes, that was just uh, very recently, actually. It was an, a real great thrill to get that. Um, amongst a couple of others, Dylan Alcott um, also yeah. received an award and then another um, Bill, uh, Bill Orr. So, yes, that was a great, a great honour. Of course, we don't do our work to get awards, but they are a good, um, I suppose, validation that the work, you know, the work I'm doing and, and with the team is, is driving um, good value. Yeah, I think there are important recognition points, though, along along a journey that's really committed to to changing the game up a little bit. I mean, you've done an enormous amount of work in particular with uh, over, what, 30,000 high school students now that are equipping them with kind of career pathways and, and uh, an introduction to the kind of soft skills that the World Economic Forum really talks about to prepare them for the, the future of work. You, you, and you've also been a really, really great champion for empowering young women along the way. So there's, there's two really interesting intersections of your world um, and the world of education, one of which is in uh, the competencies for the future, the soft skills, the other of which is around um, empowering young women. Can you share with us and our audience uh, some of that work you've done in these two spaces in particular? Sure. So let's talk about Girl World first. Um, so that, that year that I studied um, at Melbourne Uni, um, Girl World really was a business that, that was the result of that year of study. So it was a chance for us. Uh, we did a major thesis looking at the future of work and what are those competencies, as you spoke about, Adriano, uh, what are those skills um, that are going to be required in current workforce in terms of reskilling and then in that next um, next generation. And when we drilled on that, we saw, uh, of course, the huge deficit that we see around, um, around soft skill or employability. Um, skills in the next gen but also in the stem fields and i know we hear a lot about stem and it's been shoved down people's throats but uh, but when you look at all the data um you know the progress is very very slow around enough females being represented in those fields and if we push back into pipeline we, we can see the problem start at school so girl world really set out to um, provide a positive um, actionable solution to that by working within the education system um, and really connecting um, young girls so education to industry really was the theory um, and to do that what we do is we um, we design a number of programs a lot of them are industry back so we'll go inside companies understand what is your the capability requirement in here, who are some of your people, um, and how do we then connect them with students so they get that real world learning that's so fundamental to them, getting a good understanding of what is interesting for them, uh, what are the sorts of insights that they need to better shape their decision making about their future pathways. And so how do, how do female secondary students tap into this opportunity to, to kind of broaden their, their understanding of what uh, the, not only the future of, of the world of work is going to look like, but probably more importantly, so much of what their own social existence is going to look like. Um, how do they tap into it? Well, through our delivery model. So, you know, as, as you said, so we've reached about 30,000 students, about 180 or so schools around Australia we've engaged with. Now, we do that uh, in a number of ways. One, we do digital delivery. So we'll um, do content, uh, modular content that can be used uh, for students. Um, two, we do workshops um, and programs. So we'll do um, specific 
uh, in-school incursions, if you like, for schools. Um, and three, we do large-scale um, career education events called summits. We usually partner up with a university uh, and a number of businesses to do that, and then we really activate the students in, you know, large groups of students, and we give them either industry problems to solve. Uh, so Microsoft or Atlassian might be looking to solve a particular thing. We'll give that to a group of students and put them through a design thinking sprint in mm -hmm. Teams. Incredible learning for them. Yeah. We're always blown away at, at their capability. Um, you give them, you know, the right, the right things to play with, and it's incredible what they build. Well, I think this is where people underestimate young people, don't they? Because young people are generally remarkable, and everyone that I've ever encountered have always delivered when you present them with a challenge and allow them to kind of play in that space a little bit, particularly in that first stage of design thinking around the empathy regard of just active listening and really deeply understanding what the need is and what the desired outcome is. I agree. And I think also, unlike uh, us mere adults, a lot of the time um, adults really constrain their thinking. They can't do that out of the box thinking that's really so fundamental to the ideation phase of, uh, phase of design thinking. Um, and... Yeah, kids are really great at, um, you don't get that group think and there's, there's not that inhibiting factor that can really hold back the process of innovation and problem solving. Uh, and in teams, they have a natural, um, not all students, of course, but, but there's this ability to move quickly and, and actually they embody the whole agile process just through their set of behaviours that are already there. Whereas when we look at workforce transformation projects that we see currently going on, it's very hard to change behaviours inside workplaces around teamwork or problem solving or communication. They can get very, very calcified inside organisations, those sorts of behaviours. And they're, they're incredibly important for not just outcome for organisations, but also um, incredibly important for the culture that then, um, that then sits within those sets of practices and behaviours. 30,000 plus high school students is quite a serious reach since 2016. That's a substantial amount of young people that have not only been exposed to uh, some new thinking and some new uh, processes to, towards innovation and entrepreneurship, but it's also a substantial amount of young people who have been impacted and empowered about what's possible in terms of their own capacity. In, in, the, in the couple of years now that you've been doing this, actually it's more than a couple of years, you know, three or four years now that, you, that you've been working in, at this, in this space with high school students, what have you seen as the real key takeaway or those aha moments that the young women have gotten from this opportunity to, to work alongside you and, and your organisation? I think, I think the big moments are the ones where you see a light go on in a student, where you see them connect um, connect with a, a speaker at one of our big events, so it might be an industry mentor, and that student suddenly gets this connection of self to world or, or self to other. And where we see that go well is that student then will go up to that, that person and say, I'm really interested in what you're doing. Can I understand more about that? And they'll dig deeper. And they, they then will be set on a course that if they hadn't been exposed to that, that learning at that time, that wouldn't have activated for them. So I think that's when the big that's when the big moment you go yes this this is working we're we're actually doing a project with Victorian government um, right across March um, to align with International Women's Day but um, it's happening right across the month and it's um, a workplace mentoring and employability skill building so it's putting hundreds of students from um, upper secondary and early tertiary inside workplaces where they're being hosted in one to one mentoring sessions. Um, practicing some of those skills of what's happening inside that workplace so again really giving them those 
real world understandings on employability skills, connections to career and industry role models. And, um, and that's really helping them to make more informed decisions about their own future pathways. So I think that's, that's very, very powerful is take them out of the four walls, put yes. them inside that, that design thinking idea, immerse them in the ethnography of what's happening inside a company and they'll work out very quickly whether it's interesting to, to them or not that particular sector um, because otherwise it's all guesswork and I think uh, education is trying to move quickly it's trying to transform but we know it's very very it is legacy it is calcified it's crowded in there there's not enough cracks to let the light in in terms of students getting access to the real world um, so it'll be exciting to see uh, when education can free itself up a bit and, and actually allow students to perhaps complete some of their schooling inside companies. That, that would be... Yeah, Matt, Madeleine, thank you for that. It's, um, we're going to come and talk a little bit about the purpose and nature of, of schooling and education moving forward in, in, in just a wee while. I'm hearing you talk about integration of different approaches. I'm hearing you talk about the voice and agency of students. I'm hearing you talk about encounter and experience and immersion, all the sorts of things that educators in various different contexts all around the world at the moment going, this is what really good education looks like today. We're interested in your learnings about what's working for you and what's not working for you as you're trying to do these things. Let's try what's not working. Um... So we recently did some work uh, to go in and deliver a career education to a particular area, a particular region. Um, and the constraints of the crowded school day mean that things like career education or, or emotional you know, education or all these other things we know make a whole human, um, there's not enough space in there. And so what happens is you end up going in to deliver a 50 minute you know, pebble right. on a pond, um, and that is not, that's not working. That doesn't change anything. When we, when we think about the shifts that we need to occur, these are quite seismic. And, and in order to do that, the system itself and the people inside have to commit to more long-term um, long changes so that there's a lot of splash that goes on. So space and, and time is a challenge. Well, it, it, is, it is a challenge, but it's also, I think, um, the sort of, in Australia, particularly, we don't have one system. Uh, you know, like I know, you know, we've got we've got curriculum dictate, but I think um, it will take some really bold um, leaders, game changers, you know, out of the box thinkers to really imagine what do the classrooms of the future look like, and are they classrooms at all? And I think this wholesale system transformation, um, you know, in teaching and learning design, there needs to be um, a lot more courage um, in that space, you know, shown to to really expand. Um, capacity and delivery models um, to see what that might look like. So, so yeah, what's not working is um, is just finger in dike sort of stuff and and sending in you know kids going out for a quick excursion or incursion. Um, those are those are not the sorts of things that are going to um, create that wholesale long term change. So, if those are the things that aren't working for you right now, and that you're seeing that uh, are, are not working more generally, what are the things that you're finding? Are bringing you success? Uh, I think the things that I spoke about earlier where we're really um, taking students outside of their day-to-day -day environment and putting them, immersing them inside 
um, inside workplace environments. That's or giving them problems to solve, and then giving them the space to do that. Um, that that's what we're seeing working very well. And I think, you know, there are some critical sort of structural changes that would need to occur inside our education systems to allow that for students to be able to behave in that way and carry sort of inquiry learning, for example, where we see that inside schools to not disrupt that process, to actually let students carry through with, with an idea, um, you know, give them that expansiveness of space, which I think will make a big difference to the, to the outcomes. Um, when you've I gone think- into these schools, sorry to interrupt you, but when you've gone into these particular schools and you've presented to them an alternative pedagogy, you've presented to them the case for change, because in many ways what you're saying to them is that here is a new way of thinking. Here's, here's some new iterations of how we can do schooling. And our desired outcomes are outcomes that are very different kind of from the traditional literacies and the foundational literacies that have always been, say, in, in schools, as you and I would have experienced when we were in school. We know that some of those literacies are still fundamental. We know that literacy and numeracy are fundamental. But what you're now doing is you're now introducing a whole new paradigm. You're introducing new foundational literacies that relate to enterprise thinking and science thinking and, and uh, uh, entrepreneur thinking. So, and financial literacy, of course. Uh, so how can we do this? And you mentioned scale before. How can we actually do this on a greater scale? Because I'm pretty confident we're going to agree that this is the way of tomorrow. Uh, how can we do that? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, I think we need, the, the imperative is there. So, so this, at some point, this will cease to be a nice to have and a must do. So where we look at Australia's um, predict, you know, predictives around future workforce. So we know by about 2030, about two thirds of jobs in Australia will be soft skill intensive. So the skill deficit's going to hit about 29 million by 2030. So, so we know that, like the data is all there to show us that, that Australia is lagging behind the rest of the world. And that in order to meet sort of, the demands of the, of the labour market and double down on um, uh, sort of some of these skills so that we can meet the demands of Industry 4.0 and shore up Australia's economic, societal and cultural um, life, then we need to actually do this with our students. So I think, um, h- how are we going to do it? I mean, it's, it's getting enough educators together to um, uniformly decide that this big shift um, needs to occur and then start to take out some of the ways that, that learning is being designed and measured currently. So if we look at the ATAR system, for example, in Victoria, um, you know, that's that's just a one tunnel system um, that it's very difficult to um, extricate from that system for, for, for students. So how do we start to measure differently what education looks like? How do we codify curiosity? How do we understand that lifelong learning is what we're, we're going to need in Australia rather than just, you know, a, a one size fits all education um, system? So. Um, I don't have the answer to how we're going to do it. Um, we can each do small parts of it. And certainly at Girl World, we've set out to tackle the problem of, you know, giving students good problems to solve, giving them those skills in entrepreneurship and in connection. Um, but how do schools themselves change the, the structure of their, of their system? That's probably the question. Yeah, Madeleine, there's a, there's a tremendous piece of research that Jeff Southworth um, did a few years ago now where he talks about the, the centrality of optimism and a positive disposition in all of this sort of work, I think I think you have to believe that it's possible, and 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 sadly, too often when we look around, we see colleagues of ours who no longer have that positive disposition and and that inclination towards optimism. Um, we are 
interested in the light of what you've been talking about of the changes to the world of work and of the way in which um, uh, soft skills increasingly are going to be required. We are interested in your thoughts about what is the purpose of schooling. Well, I suppose it depends on the time during which you're born. Um, so the purpose of schooling in the previous, you know, industrial age was to produce people who were compliant, who could go to work yeah. between nine to five and fit within um, the world as it was. And it was very economic focused. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and they can grow up into, um, you know, responsible citizens that fit the particular society, society's needs. Um, so what's the purpose of schooling here in Australia is to produce the produce the next generation who will come up with the innovations and solutions that will drive the engines of our future economy, really, and, and our future society, where we look at some of the, um, the huge issues that we're facing in society with our um, ageing population, uh, the recent bushfires, for example. Okay, we've had now the, the pandemic um, of coronavirus. Yeah. These, these young people are stepping into a completely different world and context. And so, um, you know, there's an urgency about the world and the sorts of problems that they're inheriting. And I think um, the role of education is to ensure that those young people, um, uh, their talents um, and energy is, is harnessed as best possible so they can step in and, and become the caretakers of Australia into the future. What's really resonating with me today in this conversation is in, in preparation of uh, our Game Changers uh, podcast, I've been looking at some kind of heroes in education. And one of them is uh, Diane uh, Ravitich. She's an American uh, educational historian and, uh, and researcher. And uh, she's written copious amounts of books. And she's been a bit of a trailblazer in this space because she's actually been uh, a huge advocate for changes in education and, and really strongly in the United States working against the privatisation of so many of their schools because obviously she's very worried about then the influence uh, on, from those businesses in shaping those schools and, and maybe hijacking the agenda a little bit there. This is a quote from, from her and this quote is, Sometimes the most brilliant and intelligent minds do not shine in standardised tests because they do not have standardised minds. And what I love about that is, it, and, and what I just said a moment ago, is it's resonating with, with, with me and what you, the work that you're doing is that um, the, the power of a construct like a design thinking framework allows for everyone to enter into that same framework, but no two solutions are ever going to be the same. And it really taps into human possibility and human endeavor. Uh, and so I, I really feel that what you're currently doing is a really exciting work. I want to now just shift it, though, to the fact that you have a clear focus on girls and, and empowering women. Yesterday was International you know, uh, Women's Day, and I, I continue to be buoyed by the amount of schools that are giving that more and more oxygen in, in a meaningful way. I'm excited to see single-sex boys' schools really you know, ramping that up and celebrating that and thinking about what their role is in being great listeners and working alongside of young women in particular and trying to shift the injustice of the, of the disparity between wage and, and, and so much uh, that goes on in, in that particular space. So why is that important to you? Um, I'm, I would call myself an, an absolute feminist if feminism means believing that men and women have equal rights. Um, I have four daughters as well, so I... You know, in, in part, it's personal, I suppose. I mean, it, progress 
you know, if you look at workplace diversity, that it's been very slow and patchy, um, even the progress, despite initiatives, uh, male champions of change, there's multiple initiatives, there's many workplaces, you know, trying to do a lot in, inside their diversity and inclusion processes. But we can still see it's been very, very slow. So especially at the top, if you look at um, representation of women um, in senior levels, um, we're still not seeing enough of that. There's not enough female CEOs or women um, sort of leading businesses. So um, we've come a long way. Uh, come along our way baby I think was uh, was what Steinem said uh, all the way back there but um, but I do think there's a lot more to do in the pipeline and I think as educators you would both know if we look for example with the gender lens at um, uh, STEM subjects we know girls start opting out of those at a very young age and we did a research project um, a couple of years ago with some um, uh, some master students through, through Melbourne Uni looking at the power of role models and how, how critical that is for a young person to have that interaction with a role model early enough so that they could identify self as potentially um, being able to, you know, step into that. So that's social learning sort of theory. Um, so I think we need a lot more of that. Um, we need girls to see many more, interact with many more role models um, across sectors so they can start to see see what they could be. Uh, that, you know, the girls can't be what they can't see is, is what yeah. we often say. Um, and I think um, we also need to, probably at a company level, we see moves toward more transparency of payroll um, so that you've got really, um, you, you shine a light into, the, into what's actually going on inside companies and very quickly they will need to be transparent about, uh, about their hiring practice, about um, you know, their, their deficits, where they have them. So that's probably what needs to change, that people need to um, uh, start to sort of step up and open out um, so that we can have a conversation about the elephant in the room uh, and together work toward um, more equitable workplaces because we know that um, more diverse workforces, and I don't mean just gender, I mean neurodiversity as well, results in better financial and organisational performance. We know that. I mean, and as educators, put groups of students together who are diverse and um, and you often see there's that beautiful friction that can occur uh, in there and, and high-performing teams often have this, this fundamental diversity in them. So it's good for everybody. Uh, we just need to hurry up about it. Madeleine, I'm interested in what you're talking about there in, 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 in terms of the modelling, which is a, a thing that we would call character apprenticeship in particular. And that's the notion that to learn the competencies, to gain the expertise that you need to thrive in your world, You've got to choose an adult to learn from. There's a process of exchange between the pair of you. You up your expertise and then the adult steps back and you go on and practice that in and of itself. It's a, it's a very special type of learning relationship. Can you think of somebody in education who, who performed that role for you? What was it that they taught you? How did they teach you? Um, yes, one of my... Um formerly was a teacher of mine in my master's year, but, but I'm now I'm lucky enough to call a friend is Professor Colin McLeod, who um, teaches through um, Faculty of Business and Economics at, at Melbourne Uni. Um, and he, um, he was really fundamental actually in me uh, in the early days of Girl World, when, and I co-founded it. Edwina Kolomansky is my business partner and co-founder in this business. Um, he, he was fundamental because he said he really pushed us to keep going. We found this pretty nasty big problem um, to solve and, and he really gave us a base to want to keep 
seeing whether we could wrap a business model around it and, and keep doing this work. So he's been an incredible supporter of ours. Um, and he's also, we've recently launched a new business, which is an education technology platform, FutureAmp. Uh, it's specifically career education delivery of a platform. Um, it's sort of like LinkedIn for kids is a, is a like way to think about it. Um, but it gives kids these uh, really important access to industry role models, virtual work experience, that, that bringing the outside world in, that's the role of that. And Colin's been an incredible um, supporter as well of all that work that we've done inside that, uh, inside that business. So I'm lucky, I love, I love what I do. I love the work. Um, every morning I get up and I'm excited about the, most mornings, excited about the, the work day that sits ahead of me um, because there's just so much to do. And um, you find good problems to solve and, uh, and it can keep you pretty um, satisfied. You mentioned uh, before that uh, part of the challenge so far, of course, has been around the space and time that generally schools can afford to these type of projects. The challenge, though, is they see them as just simply that, this kind of one-off project, and we'll bring a specialist in for a period of time, but we're just going to default back to our status quo, what we've always done, because because they have to follow compliance. And as you mentioned before, you know, there's this kind of narrowing towards an ATAR because that seems to be the panacea right now of what education should be. Uh, and that seems to be the only kind of entry model in, for, for some into post-secondary you know, secondary school studies. What, what do you think we could be doing in partnership? So I'm talk, when I mean by that is the educational sector in partnership with businesses like yourself to actually shift the mindset and shift the conversation instead of it being an add-on by saying that it is as fundamental as the teaching of literacy and numeracy. I think it requires a you know paradigm shift in, in what we think what is the role of education back to what we spoke about before so so you know schools are more about more than just educating students how do we prepare students for life how do we develop their communication skills their self-discipline their respect for others how do we give them this, the the social literacy that they need to step into the 21st century and and carry forward carry forward our, our cities our culture our economy that's what we should be thinking about that greater bigger picture rather than just the test to test method so um I, I think it's trying to integrate that you know bringing in um philosophy into classrooms or, or bringing in a, um an EQ class where they have to actually practice human behaviors look at the chronicity that we see inside our social sector in Australia. I mean, we've yeah. had some terrible domestic violence is very high and we, you know, we've got some really deep, deeply rooted issues in sexism, in, in, in racism. What if we, inside schools, said that it is important that we start to educate students um, and get them literate in these sorts of areas appropriate to age and, and then you can really start to look at that, um, that whole education. So you're developing humans who have the skills and qualities needed in a change, a rapidly changing world. And, and, and Madeleine, we'd, we're, again, we'd argue here that uh, that character is the whole work of a school, and and that it's the the reason why school exists is exactly that whole person that you're talking about. Um, I think there might be something in there about family education somewhere along the piece as well too. Um, you've done so much. You are doing so much. You, you, you're deeply, deeply involved. In, in something really special. Inspiring stuff, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. What is the next challenge for you? The next challenge is... Uh, so, so one of the reasons we, um, we launched FutureAmp, uh, and that's in prototype, that platform at the moment, so we're about to go into piloting and testing that with 
um, students in universities and schools around Australia across the next months to see uh, what we can get better inside that product. So learn for the from the students. The next challenge will be to try and get that product right so we can release the first version and really scale our reach to as many students as possible. Because I think one of the learnings through Girl World has been you can only reach, we've reached a lot of students, but by no means all the students we need to be reached. And I think about, you know, that high potential kid in a country town who mum and dad maybe never finished school. Um, you know, they've got this, this incredible potential that won't be activated if they're not if, if you can't reach them. And so with FutureAmp, we really hope to be able to reach, um, reach well, scale our reach basically to students all around Australia and, um, and try and give them that access to real world knowledge and mentorship that they need. So the, the challenge, of course, is, is delivering a product that um, is glitch free and that the user experience is absolutely, you know, cracking for the, for the students. So we've, um, that takes a lot of work and patience to do that. And, uh, and we have adopted somewhat of a design thinking approach to it in so far as we didn't go out and build a dumb product um, and then hope that somebody might discover it and like it. We've really started with a very student-centric approach and say, what does the world look like for you? And what would this product look like if we built it especially for you? So it's customised content. This has been a fascinating conversation and terribly inspiring for me because uh, I'm already starting to kind of join the dots between the possibility of what currently exists within the schooling system as we know it and the possibility of strong partnering with organisations that are passionate about what tomorrow should look like, particularly around the world of work and empowering young people to take up their place to be great agents of social change and human endeavour. For me, it also is is becoming very much clear around what you're saying today and what's resonated most deeply is that schooling must shift its focus from just this kind of academic development that we have seen um, to one that is that is solely around the human possibility and we have to do that to scale and that the world that's here today is more around now an emotional competency being the kind of new knowledge base because in the absence of that, doesn't matter what frameworks we have, and that's what you're talking about, about mm. character ed- education, that's what you're talking about, the mentorship and the exchange of the relationship. In the absence of that emotional competency, we're going to really struggle to, to break through some of these challenges that we have as Australians that you mentioned earlier. Totally. And if you think about how a child best learns, they need to be feel safe and secure emotionally in order to optimise their learning. Uh, so if you haven't got that right first, well, then the system's not serving them at all. I think, I think it was Albert Einstein said, education is what remains after one's forgotten what you learned in school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if you, if you think about that, well, then, again, what is that fundamental purpose of education? What sort of humans are we hoping to see at the other end of the system? Well, look, I just want to say thank you on behalf of Philip and I. Absolutely. Uh, it's been a for, tremendous conversation. For this opportunity to, to better understand your world and your passion. Uh, it, it is great to see that there are Australians in this country that are championing not only young people, but particularly the empowerment of women. And I'm really excited to touch base with you a bit later on this year at Space in May, where we perhaps can continue the conversation with many other kind of ambitious and courageous Australians who are wanting kind of a, a new paradigm for this country. And, 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 and for any of our listeners who want to check out Madeleine's work, yes, um, there is a thing called Google and you can find most of it fairly quickly on there. But nonetheless, if you go to girldworld.com, that'll give you a really good starting point um, uh, for learning about that work um, that's being done there and if there are any educators out there who can think of ways in which they might expand the number of high school students from 30,000 to, to, to more, well, 
get to it. It'll be, it'll be a great thing for you. It'll Absolutely. be a great thing for your girls. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great to chat to you both. Keep doing your good work. Take care. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Samuel Wiseman for Orbital Productions. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe.